you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and our pal Dan Greenfield is back. Hi, Dan. Hi, Rob. I'm happy to have you here. Uh, you are, as I, as I said off air, Dan is the Regis Philbin of this particular show because whenever I need a fun guest to talk about a book that maybe somebody wouldn't want to talk about, uh, Dan is willing to fill in. And, and that, that's the case here because, you know, it's, it's June now. And the, you can tell Dan is so excited. Uh, summer, summer is almost officially here, and so I wanted to talk about something summery and fun because it is summer is my favorite time of year, and uh, there's only one treasury that has the words summer and fun in the title, <laughs> and <laughs> that is uh, DC Comics presents all new collector's edition number C60. Rudolph's Summer Fun. Yes. Uh, this one was oft requested by listeners. I'm kidding. Of course, no one requested this, but but I wanted to talk about it because because okay, look, we're making jokes, and on on TreasuryComics.com, I make a lot of jokes at Rudolph's expense because he was so omnipresent in these treasuries. But I, I and we'll get into this in a little bit. But I mean, I I think there there's something to be mourned by the fact that comics kind of don't go after this audience anymore because like like to get some statistics here during the the classic heyday of the Treasury editions, the 70s and the very early 80s. Superman headlined 14 treasuries. He was by far the number one DC treasury star. Batman had eight. Rudolph had seven. <laughs> he, he had more treasuries than Shazam, than Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, the Justice League. I mean, Rudolph was a genuine treasury star. Yeah. And, and, and this one... I, look, I will admit, when I was a kid, I didn't read any of these. Like, these were the ones that I skipped because I was like, this is for kids. I don't want to read Rudolph. But A, all the Rudolphs are all new adventures by Sheldon Mayer, the great Sheldon Mayer, creator of Sugar and Spike. So, uh, and so obviously DC felt enough, you know, that like there was enough heft to like put all the effort into these into these books. And and so I think they're worth, worth talking about, at the very least the summer fun uh, book, which came out on May 16, 1978. I mean, Dan, where are you on, on Rudolph as a DC star? Nowhere at all. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> like, like you, I didn't read any of these when I was a kid. It was I was not the target audience for this. Um, and, and when you put it in the, the, those stark terms, you realize that, that there are major DC characters that never got a treasury at all. Right. You know, right. You, you know, Wonder Woman, The Flash, your beloved Aquaman. Yep. And yep. and and you put Rudolph, he must have been he must have been a license to print treasury sized money. Mm-hmm. Which also would explain why they did a summer you know, a summer issue at all. They must have said, look, we need to get some of this infusion in the summertime too. I mean why why should we wait until December or November or whatever it is to to, to bring us a, a you know Rudolph money Let's see if we can get away with it by doing it in May. And it's basically Rudolph on vacation. So 
you know, it, it, obviously, the, you know, this, there, there was a lot of thinking in terms of, of doing this just, you know, strictly from a money-making standpoint, because otherwise, you know, why would you do it? You wouldn't do it for any other reason other than to make money. And you're right. I agree with you with the, the idea that, you know, you don't see that, you know, you don't see this really from the big two. I mean, there are there are plenty of publishers out there that, that would publish this type of material, but certainly sure. not on the not on the grand scale of a treasury edition and certainly not on the grand scale of when you extrapolate from that, you know, treasuries you could find anywhere, you know, what they, they were not just, you know, they, they were in supermarkets and bookstores. And I mean, they, they were, they were even in places where regular comic books were not. So, I mean, you, you, you certainly don't see something like this wherever you go anymore. Um, you know, let alone in a comic book store. Right. I mean, these are aimed, as you mentioned, these were at like Woolworths and all these major market chains. Right. And they were aimed at an audience that once comics sort of retreated into just being sold in comic stores, right. never set foot in a comic store. Right. You know, this audience just disappeared. And this particular one, Rudolph Summer Fun, came in the middle of like an incredible run of treasuries DC was doing. I mean, right all the issues around this time are Superman versus Shazam, Jeez. Superman versus Wonder Woman, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. I mean, they were doing the big, the, the your beloved Batman, Rasha Gould uh, 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 stories. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they did some amazing things. And in the middle of this, here's Rudolph Summer Fun, right. which is just sort of remarkable. So um, there was a Rudolph uh, DC series. It ran for 13 issues. It was basically published every year, like once a year, which is very strange, very unusual. But it makes sense for, because again, but it makes sense. You know, I mean, he's a Christmas character. You, I mean, obviously, at some point, you know, somebody, you know, light went off on, you know, on somebody's nose or over their head, you know, in the DC <laughs> office, saying, "What about Rudolph? How could we, you know, how could we, again, how could we get this Rudolph money in the summertime and have it make any, have any make any sense?" Right. Uh, the um, the original Rudolph series was all written and drawn by someone named Rube Grossman, who I have to assume is a pseudonym. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe that that's a person's real name, but it's interesting that all the all the treasuries were done by by Sheldon Mayer, and yes. because of everybody who listens to Fire and Water knows, I'm a huge fan of Sheldon Mayer. I love his Red Tornado. I love his Sugar and Spike. I'm kind of sorry that Sugar and Spike never got any treasury love, but you know, Sugar and Spike was kind of out by, by this point. Um, this book, this issue number sixty, features the last die cut diorama back cover DC would ever do. Because obviously, I mean, they've got the word collectors in this series. They're they're aiming this at at you know people that are taking their comic collecting a little more seriously. And nobody in their right mind would cut up their comic books to make a little three D diorama. So this is the last one they ever did. If you look at the back cover, you can cut it out and make a little diorama of Rudolph and stuff. And I wonder how many kids how many kids did. Right. Um, the uh, all the stories are, are written as I said, written and drawn by Sheldon Mayer with inks by Tenny Henson. And my uh, my familiarity with that name is he drew the Curse of Ozzie and Mary from the Unexpected number one ninety four, which was a story that I covered on Ryan Daly's It's Midnight Show. That's that cover where there's a woman with a microphone and half her face yes. is melting off. Yeah. it terrorized yeah. me as a kid. I was so <laughs> I, afraid to I, read that comic. I remember you mentioning that on on uh, on uh, Mountain Comics also. Yeah, 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 it was really really scary. So he's the anchor here. So he he kind of. Didn't do a lot of superhero stuff, but he would do kind of humor, Bigfoot style, and then he would do this horror stuff. So it's really cool. So, so anyway, we're going to get this. This book is basically one big story broken up into several chunks. Yeah. Um, the first story is called The Open Road, and it's Rudolph and his friend Grover, who is a beaver, uh, go on a picnic. They meet the duplicitous Mr. Cat, who attempts to steal uh, the food and supplies Ru- Rudolph and Grover brought with them, including their Hella bike 
which as you see on the cover is something they pedal and they can float in the air. And that cuts right into the second story, which is the lady on Liberty Island. Mr. Cat continues his scam, which involves convincing our heroes that he owns the Statue of Liberty, but has to unload it now that he's broke. When he learns that Rudolph is the Rudolph, he thinks they are bigger scammers than he is. Later, a U.S. Uh, radar station picks up the flying bike and thinks it is a UFO. A massive thunderstorm hits, enveloping Mr. Cat, the government officials, and Rudolph and Grover, who end up on a tugboat. Rudolph uses his shiny nose, of course, to help guide the boat out of the storm, which leads to a front-page headline on the next day's Daily News. And the third, third story is homeward bound, but... Rudolph and Grover are on a sailboat when they are spotted by a seagull who recognizes the famous reindeer. He wants Rudolph to visit Animal Island and enlist the help of a, friend, a friendly dolphin to steer them there. Waiting for them is a menagerie of animals who want Rudolph to live with them. All the animals on the island once worked for humans, but are now free and have formed their own society. Bits of the island have been disappearing, and the animals want Rudolph to find out why. He does so when he discovers it's the, been the work of termites who have been defending themselves from the other creatures who unknowingly have been destroying the wood the termites use for food. Rudolph brokers a peace between the animals and the insects, saving the <laughs> island. He and Grover head north and back to Santa. So that is the entire uh, story here of, the, of this book. And the, the, one of the things I wanted to talk about with you, Dan, specifically, is I know that uh, and we talked about this on another podcast that we did together, where you you are a big fan of New York. You've spent a lot of time in New York. And I love that this is like a vacation special. Yes. You know, this is them going. And there's a lot of, like, real-life New York stuff. I love all the stuff at the Statue of Liberty. I think it's yeah. really charming. Yeah, it is, especially at the time when, you know, when I read this, I didn't, I didn't realize the date was 1978 as I was reading it because it felt like I was reading a bicentennial. Um, mm-hmm. You know, comic because of all of the New York stuff and the and the and the uh, um, and Liberty Island, but but clearly, actually, you know, they were, you know, Shelley Mayer was re- well aware of the whole New York thing. I mean, all these cartoonists were New Yorkers. Who, by the way, Rube Grossman was a real person. Um, he um, just as a, a quick aside, based on what you had said earlier, he actually, you know, did work with Shelley Mayer and was working in uh, in in the field as early as for the Fleischers back in the '30s. So he, he actually wow. was, a, yeah, he was, a, he was a cartoonist, like Bigfoot cartoonist. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun, and it, and there are for a New Yorker anyway, there are you know the devils in the details, but the but the way. You know, people are able to see the Statue of Liberty and you go up in the crown. And, you know, these things may be obvious to, to all Americans anyway. But, yeah, it felt very New York. And I thought that was a lot of fun. But on the whole, I thought the whole thing was really quite charming. Right. It reminds me of um, Dennis the Menace used to do a lot of vacation specials. Right. Uh, my uh, Alan Brenner, the great Alan Brenner, yes. has talked about them. And he loves those books. He wrote a, a, a chapter in my book, Hey Kids Comics, about the Dennis the Menace Goes to Hawaii special. And this is kind of what this is. I mean, you got to remember, you know, pre-internet. Uh, you know, kids had to like find out about this stuff through books. How right. else are you going to find out? And so, if you've never been to New York or you have no chance of going to New York, this is your view of it. And it's kind of funny when you think about it. As you mentioned this was done in 1978. Like New York was at like the height of its of its depths, basically right. in yes. 1978. I mean, this is the whole you know Ford to City drop dead right. kind of thing. And yeah. here, you know, the, the New York seems like a, a friendly wonderland where yes. Rudolph and everybody, you know, the. The, the radar officials, you know, spot Rudolph, and they realize, oh, no, he's a friend. Oh, everything's good. And they got, they got the hover bike and everything else. And artwork-wise, I really like the – especially the chapter where they get to the Statue of Liberty. And there's a bunch of – there's a thing that um, Sheldon Mayer likes to do where he will have multiple panels – 
broken up over a central image. Right. Where and I really like that. There's a page twenty three is where it's a full page shot of the Statue of Liberty, and we're following panel to panel. Rudolph and Grover and Mr. Cat as they walk down the Statue of Liberty and we follow them with the word balloons, which I think is really clever. It's like a really nice design. And he does that throughout this book of like, you'll see the same character split up over across panel borders to get the sense. It feels like an animated cartoon. And I, I think it's really, really quite pretty. Well, that's that's one of the great you know comic book tricks where you give a sense of movement to a stationary right. image. And it does, the way you read that page. And, and also the coloring is also really, really nice, too. You, you, you get the, the Statue of Liberty right in the middle and all the, you know, the green set off by the, the kind of the granite base. But the sky is like pinks and oranges and all kind mm-hmm. of swirling together. And you're right, it is really nice. What I also like is that when you – is the way he wrote the story – is that it doesn't come off of this obnoxious again, remember this is a summertime comic, it's supposed to be. I mean there's there's educational stuff in here, but it's not obnoxious. It's not the kind of thing that you would you know, he he, he doesn't hit you over the head with some of the background of what we're talking about because there actually is a little bit, you know, this is there's a lot of, there's a, there's a little bit of, you know, of historical stuff in here that's kind of tucked into the story without it being, you know, too obvious, which is nice for, you know, young kids. Right, they talk about going to Liberty Island and right. stuff like that. I mean, I can imagine a lot of kids don't necessarily know the Statue of Liberty is on an island. Right. You know what I mean? They just think of it as part of New York, but it's got its own thing. And I right. love all the stuff with the tugboat. And I, I do kind of enjoy that Mr. Cat is sort of maybe the more typical kind of New Yorker, is that he's the one who's kind of duplicitous and a little like, well, now, wait, wait, I'm wait really... a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get these I mean, He's He has a lot of wor- thought balloons because he's constantly thinking he's going to like fool these rubes. Right. Well, uh, let's so, now, hold it, on. They, remember, they get Mr. Cat before they get to New York. So let's not, know. you know, it's not like they, it's not like that Rudolph and Grover were, were cruising 42nd back in 1978, you know, <laughs> and, and they get, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, they, they find him somewhere in the woods. So let's, you know, let's be fair to New Yorkers here, pal. But um, that's true. Yeah, but, yeah. It's not Midnight Cowboy. No, it is certainly true. not. Yeah. yeah. It would have been more fun if actually if they'd come across someone named Ratso. I think that would have been, you know, that would have been <laughs> that would have been great. You know, or, you know, or, or Rudolph and Grover in Needle Park. You know, that that, that would I mean, actually, now that you think about it, how great would it have been if they actually did have Rudolph and Grover in New York City in 1978, wandering the streets of Manhattan, getting like the Warriors, you know, they they have to get from the Bronx (laughs) to Coney Island. But it's Rudolph and it's Grover the Beaver. I mean, come on. Now, now I want my way back machine because I want to find a way to make that happen. Actually, today, today in comics, that's probably what they would do. But um, probably. All of a sudden, you're turning this into Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That would, you know, anyway. But, um, but what I also like about Mr. Cat is that he is relentlessly, I mean, it doesn't veer off into, you know, sometimes when you read this stuff, you worry where, the, where they bring in stuff of, you know, other cultures and it's like, unintentionally offensive and, and stuff that's very much of its time. This avoids a lot of that stuff, but at the same yep. time, there are some real politically incorrect elements in the entire comic, but specifically with Mr. Cat. It's not just that he is relentlessly a villain. You know, he's a, he's a con artist, but he's an asshole, too. I mean, he keeps, <laughs> he keeps calling these guys stupid and they're idiots and all these things that they can't hear, but he's like, he's totally taking them apart in his mind about, you know, they're not just easy marks, but they're dumb, they're stupid, stuff that, that you're never even supposed to, you know, 
reference in children's literature uh, uh, anymore. So it's kind of refreshing that that Mr. Catchist is is a you know he's a bald faced con artist who who has no respect whatsoever for his uh, marks. Yeah, I mean Rudolph and Rudolph and Grover are the characters. I, I guess the number one problem I would sort of have with this as a as a comic, and maybe I'd even have this if I was a kid, is that Rudolph as a character just isn't terribly interesting. Like, he doesn't, you know, he's just very straightforward. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any particular characterization, really. He's just kind of, he's sort of dull, a little. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to take it too terribly seriously. But it's like, he just isn't, you know what I mean? Like, just as a, well, he, I mean, he's not Charlie Brown or Snoopy or, well, or Bugs Bunny, even. He's just kind of you know, he's like, okay, everything, everything's great, everything's fine. Like, you just, I, I don't know. Well, he was, he was never the most interesting part of his own of his own TV special. I mean, you know, you know, that's true. Charlie in the box was the one who stole that one. You know, the 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 island of mis. Everybody remembers the island of misfit toys, which, by the way. I would I would have liked, and I don't know what the rights were in terms of the the, the character Rudolph versus the the story from the show and, and all of that because you know Grover's not in the TV show. I'm assuming that it's a whole separate rights issue between the song and between the TV show and between whatever it was that DC was doing. Because even though I didn't really expect to see them when I was reading that, I thought to myself, how cool would it have been if we actually would have seen, you know, some of those characters from the from the from the TV show show up here, like Yukon Cornelius, you know, going by on a raft oh, or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, if he had sh- somehow shown up on on uh, the island of the of the animals and, and whatever. So, you know, if you're if you are looking at something like this and I, you know, I imagine some kids might have been disappointed by that. I don't know. Um, but but that would have, I think, helped because you're right there. It's not it's it's not cutesy. But there is something. And, and again, you don't want to take it too seriously, but there is something a little flat about Rudolph and Grover, because they're just kind of, you know, the average funny animal kind of characters. The, the, a lot of the personality comes from the people that they meet along the way. Right, right. I mean, the the, the third story, the Homeward Bound one, yeah. where they actually go to the Animal Island, is kind of interesting. Yeah. And they, I love the idea of a bunch of animals that used to be kind of in servitude to people, right. and now they're not anymore, and right. they have their own little society. Like, that's really cute. Yeah. I really like that. I'm, I'm kind of a big kind of animal rights person. So I love the idea of this, yeah. this animal where this animal island where they all can get along. I think it's really, really sweet and, and cute. And, it, you know, it hints at just a little bit of social commentary of the idea that animals don't necessarily want to belong to people. Right. You know, they want to go and be free and whatever. I think that's, that's really adorable. And they said the artwork is very nice. It's very um, kind of almost Sergio Aragones in that it's, it's, filled to the brim with little detail yes like there's it's very every panel and as a treasury it actually works out because it's you know you get i would imagine this stuff shrunk down right uh, might have been hard to look at and of course since since it was done done originally as as a treasury you know mayor knew what size he was going to be right you know what size of stuff was going to be printed at and so i like that he fills the margins with all these little things the final panel of them on animal island has about like a dozen characters in it and they've all got little things and there's like a there's a, a, a seagull and he's hanging a sign that says the end at the end of it and there's all this dialogue and it's 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 cute and i and he said visually it's not mayor's best work right. i think his stuff on sugar and spike is his best work but it but it's nice it's you know and instead of you're selling this to you know, the intended audience, which would have been seven, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Right. Uh, it's perfect. And, I mean, right on the inside cover, 
there's a thing that says this book of Rudolph's summer travels belongs to, and there's a space for your name. Right. So, I mean, it clearly meant to be like one of those golden books that as a kid you put your name in. And if the book on, after the stories features about eight to ten pages of puzzle pages. Yeah, I mean, it goes uh, on and, and on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, and there's a page where you're actually supposed to cut the paper out. Right. And which is, you know, it's not mid condition anymore. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to get tape and make all these little funny pictures, and there's a connect the dots. The inside back cover features a coloring page, and as I mentioned, the back cover has got the diorama. So this was meant to be, it's a comic book, but it's really meant to be an activity book yeah. just as much. And, you know, again, that's something that, uh, Comic books stopped being not too long after this. Yeah, I like I like the one that's that's they take a sailboat trip to Funland, which is a, mm. which is a board game that they have here. But since you can't have a spinner and the book doesn't come with a you know a, a pair of dice or anything, it asks it asks the kids to take a toothpick and to break it and then to throw it onto the mat and to see where it lands is how many steps that you know how many moves you make. and all I keep thinking is that okay here we go this is 1978 of course it was okay to tell kids hey kids go get yourself a toothpick that really really sharp object that you probably shouldn't be playing with and let's have some Rudolph summer fun with it <laughs> when you're done your charts game come in yeah. grab a toothpick and break it up exactly. and after that you can shoot the uh, Boba Fett missile pack right down your throat so exactly Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm surprised there's not a page here. Hey, kids, fun with firecrackers. (laughs) (laughs) Get dad's gun. Uh, (laughs) It's funny, it's funny you you mention uh, the copyright because that's something that I think probably a lot of people don't know is that the Rudolph of the song, which is very, that's copyrighted. That's a copyrighted song and you have to get the rights to use that. Now here, if you look in the indicia, right. it doesn't mention anything about that. So yeah, there must be a, like you can have a different version of Rudolph. Cause this, the indicia just says copyright DC comics. Right. So this, this was their version. And so, as you mentioned, that's why there is no Yukon Cornelius right. or the misfit, you know, the Island of misfit toys. This is a completely different, ver- I mean, the way you can't own Santa, you, I think you can copyright your version of Santa, but you can't own Santa. Right. Of course. Not. Version yeah. of Santa. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, this was so this was it. This was it for Rudolph. This was the end of a uh, a long career as a Treasury star. And on top of it, you know, DC ran advertisements for the Rudolph Treasury. Oh, yeah. Some Treasuries they just buried. Some Treasuries you never saw an ad for. But Rudolph got a lot of ad dollars thrown at him and stuff. So they, you know, there was there was some genuine marketing heft to this character for DC Comics. I would love to talk to somebody that could remember all this. I yeah. doubt anybody at DC commits this to memory. But I would love to find out, like, how much of... Did these things really sell well? Um, one little detail, and this will be a preview of an article that is going to be appearing on 13th Dimension about the Treasuries, which is going to come out the same day as this episode, yep. is that there was another Treasury planned uh, for Rudolph. It was going to be an Easter uh, an Easter special, but it never saw the light of day. And I, Sheldon Mayer actually produced work for it, but uh, it never it never got published. So it never got published. So this was this was not intended to be the last one, uh, but it was. But I actually kind of liked that they went out with this because I think this is by far the most interesting. I mean, again, I'm a summer guy. I'm a warm weather guy, and the idea of going on an adventure to New York in the middle of the summer that that definitely appeals to me. So I'm I'm glad. I think they went out on a winner. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's very sweet, and I also like that they do. I mean, Rudolph's red nose actually plays a big part of the story too. I mean, they definitely. They definitely use what the character is known for, and I mean, it's actually very cleverly written. It's cleverly done. Um, it's very sweet, and it is kind of funny and kind of strange that the last one would be a summer issue. But I guess, I mean, by the time the following, I mean, where where are we 
we in terms of how close this one was to I mean I know they were hitting their heights with some of their big ones but how many more years were they doing treasuries before it petered out they kept doing them DC kept doing them all the way up until 1981 oh okay so, so there still were a few more, more years, years. Yeah. so I am curious as to why they didn't do any more for December I wonder why that is yeah that's kind of yeah, interesting they, they did do a um uh, a digest, a Rudolph digest yeah. for Christmas. So I'm guessing that the because right around the part where the digest took off for DC was right where, pretty much when the treasuries ended. Right, exactly. So I guess they decided to transfer everything. And if you look at that digest, I think it's a Blue Ribbon Digest number three. It has puzzle pages. Right. And of course, none of that stuff really works because the pages are too They're small. Tiny. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't do any activity pages on right. little postage stamp size panels. So they clearly intended all that stuff to be in some future treasury, and then they just downgraded it and reproduced it as a, as a digest, but it doesn't really make any sort of physical sense as, as, in that size. But, uh, so yeah, this, this, this was it for them, and, you know, and the first ever DC treasury was Rudolph. The first right. I- I- issue of Limited Collector's Edition is a Rudolph uh, treasury, so, you know, DC, he was, a, he was a big star. He was a big, big star for them. So I imagine, um, I imagine that this would have been a really good thing to give to a kid for a car trip in the summer of 1978, oh, yeah. you know, this, you're going to the Woolworths, like you mentioned, and you see it, and it's it's a summer vacation story, and it's Rudolph and kids like Rudolph. I could definitely see mom and dad saying, oh, okay, well, we'll just grab this on the way out with, you know, our Frisbees and our Wiffle Bats and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, read this in the back, you know, and, and, you know, keep quiet back there while we drive, you know, <laughs> two hours to wherever we're driving. You know, you could definitely see that being, you know, in the back seat. Yeah, for two bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, you get the, the, yeah. the kids entertained for hours on end. Absolutely. So I do have. Yeah, a, I do have one question though. Yes. If Rudolph can fly, what do they need the hover cycle for? Well, that's a good question. Um, I guessing it because they can. They, well, they have all their stuff that they're carrying. I guess, but then, he, but if you can you pull know? a sleigh, well, you that's know? true. I mean, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know. I, I think that's a plot hole that you know that should <laughs> should have been tied up. Dan Greenfield, continuity cop. Yes, continuity cop. Rudolph, you know, it's a, there's something there's something wrong here. This is, you know, if this were the, you know, if this had come out in the the age of the internet, I'm sure that that there were all sorts of trolls who would be all over this, oh, ripping, yes. ripping apart all of the, uh, all of the uh, uh, leaps of logic that go on in this thing. Worst Rudolph ever. <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. On the cover, he does have his autograph book, and as you mentioned, it's a shame that he didn't get to meet, run into like. Celebrities in New York while he was in New yeah York. Andy Warhol like, you know would have been great yeah right yeah he goes to you know, Studio Fifty Four to you know to hang to hang out with uh, you know Bowie and Jagger and, and <laughs> you know, Bianca you know Bianca <laughs> Bianca and and Rudolph's night out on the town would have been great that was perfect yeah, yeah. who's mayor in the, in the this in the this would have been the Ed Koch who Ed Koch who, you, I can't believe actually now that you mentioned how Ed Koch doesn't show up in this thing I mean Ed Koch was everywhere. You know, he he was like the city mascot. That's part of what oh, made him so appealing. Saturday Night Live for people. Everything, yes. You know, yep. TV commercials or whatever. It would have been great as you know, just have his head sticking into a pound and say, how am I doing? And then, and then leave. <laughs> oh, Rudolph could have visited Saturday Night Live. Oh, my God. How great would that have been? Spider-Man got to do it. Right, so exactly. Rudolph, uh, Rudolph yeah. on Saturday Night Live. Uh, hanging out with Mr. Bill. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good uh, stuff. We'll, we'll have to- put that together yes anyway uh yeah i think that's gonna do it for, sure. for rudolph summer fun i mean i we, we didn't have a whole ton to say about it but i really did want to give rudolph I, again i make fun of him a lot on the show because it just seems so ridiculous that he got so many treasuries yeah. to himself but again I, I i mourn 
the the fact that comic deep mainstream comics kind of don't do this stuff anymore yeah. and so it's nice that they went on in winter and again I, I love summer fun I'm a big fan of like characters having summer fun adventures and so it's, it's a cute book if you can if you ever see it somewhere on ebay and you have a kid that might enjoy it i, I think it's worth getting it's it's a it's very charming oh it's really sweet it, it is and, and you're right it, it, because it obviously it holds up today it would be perfectly fine to give to a you know a, you know a six or seven year old kid i just wouldn't let them anywhere near the match the the, the paper the uh, toothpicks yeah well you cut that page cut out. that page uh, anyway, well, excellent. Thank you so much, Dan. I always enjoy talking to you. Oh, sure. Uh, it's, uh, it was very fun. You had, no, you had no enthusiasm when you just said that. Yeah, sure. You're like, Aaron. Right, <laughs> um, anyway. No, no, no. Actually, when you asked me to do it, I was like, absolutely. I am all in. I've never read Rudolph Summer Fun, but I'm in. It, 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 you didn't need to, I didn't even need to think about it twice. I appreciate that. Yeah, you did. You responded very quickly. You were like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, oh, awesome. Cool. Because yeah. I do want to talk about Rudolph's summer fun. So, so Dan, what do you have coming up on 13th Dimension? Uh, you know, it's, it's the same as always. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're looking for stuff about modern comics, old school comics, TV, movies. You know, we're writing about it. And like you said, you know, you've got a piece coming. You know, that'll be hitting right around the time of this uh, podcast about, well, I might as well say it. It's, it's basically the greatest treasuries that never were. So uh, that's something, you know, and that's the kind of thing that we do all the time. So if you like this podcast, you like that kind of stuff, then I think you'll like the website. Absolutely. Yeah, I love doing stuff for 13th Dimension, so you should check it out if you haven't already. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. I want you to stay tuned for some podcast promos. And when we come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, make, make ours Marvel. Hey there. Welcome to the Mirror Factory. I'm the foreman, Max Romero, so let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. The Mirror Factory is a podcast where we talk about your favorite passages from novels, novellas, and short stories. Each episode features a different guest, who will tell us a little about the book their passage is from and why it means so much to them. Then that guest will give us a special reading of their favorite passage for our listeners. If you think you'd like to be a guest on The Mirror Factory, drop us a line at Factory Mirror on Twitter, The Mirror Factory on Facebook, or at mirrorfactorypodcast at gmail.com. The Mirror Factory is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Time to get back to work. Until next time, read a book.
promised. We're back with some listener feedback. And uh, the show has some new iTunes reviews. Yay! First one is from Atch Attack uh, from May 12th, 2018. Five stars. This is another hit. It's becoming a bit repetitive to laud another Fire and Water podcast, but laud it I will. My favorite comic podcasts are those that I can follow along by reading the issue as well, and if I don't have it, I relentlessly search it out, even these hard-to-find treasure editions. I love Rob's delivery, knowledge, and passion, and his choice of co-hosts. If you are a brown jade baby like me, Treasury Cast is a must-listen. Thank you so much, Agitech. I really appreciate it. And the second one is from Gothos Mansion. It says, great to know someone else loves the Treasuries. Five stars. This is from April. It says, I was a very young child in the late 1970s, and Treasury comics were some of my first purchases. Even among other comics aficionados, I never came across anyone else who was as enamored with the format as I was. Hearing someone else discuss, discuss some of my favorite comics is a lot of fun for me. A few quick comments. Batman is my all-time favorite character, but I'm afraid you may have shot through most of the Batman treasuries a bit too soon and should have spaced them out more. That said, you still haven't covered my favorite Batman treasury, which is Batman Strange's Cases. In fact, I consider it my favorite comic book that I own even 40 years later. Either the Ra's al treasury or the Justice League treasury would have been my first treasury purchase. The date on the JLA one predates when I began collecting, but a local department store may not have returned their stock. That happened a lot. Uh, I did have that one as a child. I'm also surprised you do haven't covered a Hulk treasury yet, considering how ubiquitous they were due to the Hulk's presence on TV in the late 70s, early 80s. From the time I was five until I became about 12, Hulk was my favorite Marvel character, so I eagerly snapped up each Hulk treasury when they were released. Marvel Treasury 26, which is the issues where Monica turns Betty into Harvey, is probably my favorite of the Hulk treasuries. After 12, Spider-Man took over as my favorite Marvel character, so I'm looking forward to hearing your takes on more of the Spidey treasuries. You've covered one of two of my favorites, Marvel Treasury Edition number 18, which I did with uh, Ryan Daly. Uh, Gothos Magic continues. I also have a soft spot for Marvel, Marvel Treasury 14, The Six-Armed Saga. I realize now that it is not one of the great Spidey stories of all time, but mine was a gift from my great-grandfather, so I have nostalgia for it. I'm also, I also look forward to you covering some of the DC Marvel crossover treasuries. As mentioned, at that time of my life, Batman and Hulk are my favorite characters from their respective companies. Back in the pre-internet days when comic readers don't often get news about upcoming events, I had no idea there was going to, they were going to do a Batman-Hulk crossover, and I got a huge thrill walking into my local Super Value grocery store and stumbling across the comic. Needless to say, I knew what comic book I was going home with that day. When I got it home, it's always by one of my favorite writers, Len Wein. I was really stoked, and who doesn't love great artwork by Jose Luis Garcia? Garcia Lopez, praising his name. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Gothas Mansion. That's a, a great review and I love all that detail. And yes, we did burn through a lot of the Batmans kind of quickly. That's just because my um, guests wanted to talk about them and they are really good. But there are a couple more to get to. So, and we will, and get to them, we will. So, again, thank you, Gothas Mansion and Natch Attack for the iTunes reviews. Really appreciate it. And uh, anyone out there who hasn't left the show an iTunes review, please do. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to move on to feedback we got on the website, uh, firewaterpodcast.com. And this is about the last episode, which was episode 23, Buck Rogers, with special guest Greg Rujo. Uh, David A. Gutierrez uh, says, great show, guys. This is one of the few treasuries I owned, and it's always good to hear Greg, one of the best guests yet. More Jose Delbo. No. Alan W. Wright says, I don't recall seeing the comic as a kid, but I definitely remember seeing the movie in theaters and watching the TV show, too. I also had the Buck and Tweaky action figures and possibly Wilma. I didn't have any of the ships. I also remember checking out the original 20s and 30s newspaper strips in a collection at the local library. I was vaguely disappointed they didn't resemble the Gil Gerard canon. I certainly had some vague sense of his literary pedigree. Perhaps my parents read the early comics. The artist of the Treasury, Frank Bull, used to draw the Robin Hood comics for magazine Enterprises back in the 1950s. 
Partway through the run, they switched from being a generic Robin Hood to being officially licensed from the 1950s TV series. The comic book sheriff was fired and replaced by a sheriff with the same real name, oddly, that resembled TV actor Alan Wheatley. Thank you for the info, Alan. Edo Boznar says, nice show as usual. Enjoyed the discussion of a book I never knew existed. For me, this was also a case of learning something new. Namely, that I knew that the Whitman logo was slapped on a lot of comics published by other companies, mainly DC, in those drugstore, department store, three-pack bags in the late 1970s. But I never knew that there were opposite cases where a Dell Whitman book had a Marvel logo slapped on it. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, that, I loved uh, that angle of the Buck Rogers book, is that it's unique, is that it's not a Marvel book, and yet it's got a Marvel logo on it. Gothos Mansion, who of course left us an iTunes review, says, All my treasuries are DC or Marvel, so obviously this one I don't have. I enjoy listening and finding out more about it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Gothos. Brian Linton says, I enjoyed this tie-in to your recent Film & Water episode. Having the two episodes really helped to compare and contrast the adaptation with the source material, especially since I was unaware that the Treasury adaptation even existed. See, no one knew this thing existed. That being said, what really blew my mind was Greg's suggestion of a Treasury adaptation of Dune. I would buy that in a heartbeat. I love that crazy movie, regardless of how far it trades in the original novel. Back in the day, I even owned a Stiglar action figure from LJN's Dune action figure line. Great idea, Greg. The idea that there were even Dune action figures is, is crazy. Marvel did do an adaptation of Dune, of course, in their Marvel Super Special magazine. And I mocked up a Treasury cover uh, for it, which uh, you can see on the Twitter feed, which is uh, Treasury Comics over on Twitter. Because, uh, uh, I mean, you would think they had the material. And Marvel did a lot of that double dipping where they would put something in a Treasury and then make it a magazine or do it as a digest and then a magazine or vice versa. So they could have done Dune as a Treasury. would have been uh, easy enough to do. And uh, also, something else I wanted to mention, everybody in the comments says that they didn't know this Buck Rogers book existed. This was something we didn't mention on Greg's episode, and I wish I, wish I had, is that there was an ad. Uh, I do love finding the Treasury ads. Uh, they're easy to find for DC and Marvel. But uh, Gold Key did run ads for the Buck Rogers Treasury. You can see it on the website, treasurycomics.com, and you can see it on the Twitter feed, which is, again, Treasury Comics over on Twitter. There was a full-page Buck Buck Rogers Treasury ad, so obviously Gold Key had enough confidence and uh, they wanted to sell this, that they would make up a, a full ad for it. And you can you can see it. Greg sent it to me, and it's, uh, it's terrific. He, he was the one who found it. And so I never knew it existed either, but uh, it was really cool. Uh, finally, Chris Franklin from Supermates uh, and JLU cast, and, of course, uh, co-hosts Superman Movie Minute with me from our network, says, This odd Marvel Gold Key Whitman mashup could, strangely be, could be strangely similar to what Marvel and Archie are doing with the Digest now. Whitman was pretty ubiquitous as a kid. They had coloring books everywhere. So I recognized the smiling W when I saw it on my DC multi-packs, even if it still confused me. That cover seems much more gold key-esque for sure. Fun episode. Thanks for the buck double feature. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks, everybody, for left comments. I really appreciate it. And finally, we're going to wrap up uh, by thanking everybody that retweets the show on Twitter. And that is 108 Sage, Supermates Pod, World Spine, Justice Trek, Once Upon a Geek, Black Vulcan 69, Zoom Yukonori, It's Plastic Man, Maxo Romero, Bazinga Cal, Firestorm Fan, Slang Word, The Mind of Scott X, Dr. Ian 70, Ryan Daly 01, Pulp to Pixel, L.A. Jacone, Beyonder 01, Siskoid, Tim Price 17, Garujo 1, there's Greg again, and Hierock. So, again, thanks, everybody. Thanks for retweeting. That helps get the show noticed. And thank you for the iTunes reviews. I uh, really appreciate that. So, uh, super thanks uh, to Dan Greenfield for coming back to talk about Rudolph's Summer Fun. This was a book that 
again, nobody was really going to ask for it, but I wanted to talk about Rudolph a little bit. And now it's the summer. Uh, we want to, who doesn't want to have some summer fun? So, again, thank him so much for coming by back on the show. Make sure to read uh, my article about the treasuries on the website, which is 13thDimension.com. We'll have the links in the show notes. So, uh, again, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next episode, go big or go home. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen But do you recall The most famous reindeer of all Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it you would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names They never let poor Rudolph Join in any reindeer games Then one foggy summer solstice Santa came to say Rudolph with your nose so bright won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him As they shouted out with glee Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer You'll go down in history